0: You want to be like Amazon, even in your small business? I mean, who are we kidding, Amazon? Well, we're going to talk with Brian Eisenberg about Be Like Amazon. Check it out today. Welcome to another episode of the duct tape marketing podcast this is John Jantz and my guest today is Brian Eisenberg he is a longtime featured keynote speaker for things such as search engine optimization and conversion rate optimization and I've had him on the show a couple times some of you may recall waiting for your cat to bark uh, maybe a call to action, definitely Buyer Legends, <laughs> and a number of other books. Today we're going to talk about Be Like Amazon, a new book. Uh, Even a Lemonade Stand Can Do It. It's a book he wrote with his brother Jeffrey, and a long time, uh, I've been a longtime fan of also contributor Roy Williams, uh, Wizard of Ads um, fame. So, Brian, thanks for joining me.
1: I am so excited to be here. You're You're, you're actually the first time I get to talk about uh, the new book. So it's always a pleasure. And again, having that long-term relationship, um, you know, I
0: value really being here with you. Well, thanks so much. So yeah, this, uh, would depend upon when you're listening to this, we're recording this mid April of 2017 and the book is freshly out at that point. So give me kind of, what was the big picture? If you're going to try to say, here's the thing we wanted to accomplish with
1: this book, what is it? Um, so actually two things. One to clarify, the, the only the Kindle version is out so far. The, we're still coming out with a hardcover and audio version in the next number of weeks. They're you know, it's all, all happening. The the big picture is, you know, at the end of the day, Amazon has now captured forty three percent of all US e commerce. Hmm. They're growing faster and faster and faster. Fifty two percent of households um, you know, are are prime members today. And uh Prime visitors, when they hit the Amazon website, convert at 78%, 22 times better than any other website out there. And so they built a business, a brand, a tribe, unlike any other. And there are lots of little pieces on it. And as you mentioned, you know, I've talked about conversion optimization, search optimization. I've talked about little pieces. But when you fully dissect the beast of why Amazon has grown and, 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 and why the growth has scaled so much, and then you realize, hey, other businesses can also apply the same levers that they are we needed to make sure it was out there for everybody
0: yeah I'm you know I'm that typical Amazon Prime buyer Uh, if I want to buy something and this happens all the time my wife finds something says oh will you go on this website and buy it I go to Amazon first and see if I can find it because I know they have my buyer information I know they have my address I know that I'm gonna get free shipping and so it's uh, uh, you know I'm sucked right into the into that so the thing that I think Amazon does and we'll get into specifics of the actual book because it while it is be like Amazon it's not really about Amazon per se um, but one Correct. of the things I think that they do is they're just time and time again not afraid to take on markets where people said "Oh you've got no business going there <laughs> and uh, and they just go there and they Take the storm, and maybe they lose money for a while. And next thing you know, they're dominating and changing the entire industry.
1: Yeah, you know, they're definitely not afraid to fail and learn. And I think that's that's a critical component of what they do. And you know, we talk about that as one of their four pillars. This this culture of innovation. Look, I mean, we all know that you know they went into the you know into the smartphone market, and that and that bombed, and that's okay. They're they're not worried about losing it. And I know the first thing people are going to say is, of course, you're not worried about losing it, because the stock market is basically funding, <laughs> yeah. you know, their their growth. They're not profitable, blah, 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 blah. And, and I hear that all the time. Uh, even even if even this morning in the last couple of days has been a, a popular video going on. Uh, this guy talking about how Amazon is not profitable and disrupting retail. And it's not true. Uh, you know, they have been profitable since 2001. They just know that. You know, the times are changing. We're living in a world where customers are on quicksand (laughs) and the marketplaces are in quicksand. Um, They're setting expectations for no matter what industry you're in for um, how experiences should be like, how fast you should respond to things, how fast you should take care of issues, um, how soon you should get packages to people, how soon you should, you know, uh, respond to a lead form. You know, they're doing all this. They're going into home services. They're going into entertainment, winning, you know, Academy Awards. So, you know, I, I, the management style, and this is what we really talk about in the book, the, the, the thinking about doing it is what allows them to come in there. And because they're so obsessed with the customer, no one is very upset when they get it wrong because they know, at, you know, at, at their heart, the brand is in it for the good of the customer. And I think, you know, more, more brands need to start thinking that way. Certainly, of course, we can look at the airlines and know that may not be the case there.
0: <laughs> Excuse me so the uh, you, you you already unleashed the four pillars so I want to come back to that idea but first I want to talk a little bit about the style of the writing of the book it is uh, different for certainly for you and you know a lot of it is written in the metaphor par- parable you know style and you know like uh, who moved my fish kidding that was I was combining two of them. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, somebody ought to write that. I'm going to write that one, Who Moved My Fish. I like that. You should write uh, like that one. <laughs> but uh, first off, let you know, clear up for some people because, some, you know, those books can be hokey. You know, they can be very message-heavy and the story is sort of secondary or the characters or the dialogue are just really bad. <laughs> so... Uh, you worked with somebody who I think is is brilliant, Roy Williams, uh, in doing this and has done it uh, in many ways, in many forms. Uh, how was that different for you in, in trying to write a book? And, and how do you feel about you know how that turned out?
1: So uh, I'll ne- I'll never forget. We had a, a friend of ours after they read Waiting for Your Cat to Bark, and you know that was a, a number one Wall Street Journal bestseller. And they came to us and they said to us, you know. It's amazing you you managed to put nine books into one. <laughs> and, and and you know we've always had that habit and you know Roy talked to us and he had seen us do a presentation about Amazon and it really blew him away with the, the 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 depth of information that we were giving people and it was overwhelming. He said, you know, there's only one way to tell this story which is through a story which is what our biologist book was about. We know Stories carry a different impact. Mm-hmm. The problem with a lot of business parable books is that, you know, you have to read 150 pages and to get one point across, um, you know, and it's the effort of the story. I think what Roy, and clearly, you know, he has way more talent than my brother or I have, did an amazing job of, of packing it full of great nuggets and information, but also making the story really entertaining. I mean, we talk about it a little bit uh you know, he kind of does a little self-referential in the book in chapter 11, what a good book needs, a good presentation needs, what a good pitch needs. Um, and I think he really did that in the book, right? It needs the entertainment. It needs the hope. It needs the big idea. It needs the step-by-step. And he kind of put all of that into the book, uh, to I think, to really deliver something that, you know, Jeffrey and I alone probably couldn't have done. And as we're reading the reviews on Amazon currently, right, as I said, it's only available on Kindle uh, for now... Um, We're seeing that. People who are not big fans of parables, folks like Dave Lacan and a couple of others, are saying, but this one does the job. This one gets it, and it's still giving us the five stars. So, um, yeah, kudos to to Roy for his talent. I I wish I had, you know, a tenth of it.
0: (laughs) Well, and it has a little bit of something that most uh, business, in fact, all business books lack. It actually has some humor.
1: It does have some humor and some (laughs) some, uh, nifty lines, especially when we start talking about marshmallows. And Yeah, there's there's a few good ones in there.
0: So, how does this book then, for for people who have read Buyer's Leg- Buyer Legends, and, and, and again, we had you on, on the show to talk about that, how does this relate to that book?
1: So, you know, one of the things that, you know, that Amazon has done so well, and I think, you know, what what Jeff Bezos did is he didn't take anything new in terms of thinking about the the four pillars that we, that we said we talk about. He didn't you know he's not the first person to to focus in on customer centricity. That's not it. Um, you know this is something you know companies like GE has done and uh, you know plenty of other companies have done. In fact, we even have um, a free survey that people can take on the Be Like Amazon website where they can grade themselves on the four pillars. And it comes from something that people have been doing for like thirteen years. Um, it's just we've renamed you know, to, to match our pillars, but it's a study that they've been doing for big companies and small companies for years and years and years. That part is nothing new. What, what I think Jeff Bezos has done is how he's turned it to scale, how he's taken this world's oldest startup and made it work, which is two key things. One, small independent teams, nothing that, you know, two pies of pizza uh, couldn't feed. Right. But the second one is, they actually use the concept of what we talk about, buyer legends. These small narratives before every meeting. Um, all the executives have to write a five to six page document explaining what they want to cover, and they have to do it from the perspective of that customer. Mm-hmm. And I think when when you start taking that approach and telling the story fr- from there, and, uh, of course, we, you know we tweak it a little bit because uh, we found buyer legends the formula that's worked when we brought it into other organizations. Right? What Amazon does is works for Amazon. When you combine the two, when you understand how it all you know all the pieces work together, that's the brilliance of why they have such scale. So I don't you know I don't think you could just say okay yes I'm going to raise my hands I'm going to do all four pillars, but now we also have to figure out how to inject it into our culture, and that's where the buyer legends falls in.
0: Well, and I think that one thing, if we so so, we're going to start with the first um, pillar that you've uh, mentioned a couple of times, customer centricity. You know, I think an interesting thing when you think about an online store, I mean, there there is no, I mean, customer interaction in the same way. They don't walk into your store, and say hi, how are you doing? You know, how are the kids? I mean, it is it is essentially interaction through clicks and through. You know, hotspots on web pages and on forums and maybe some customer service interaction, obviously. But, you know, how do you think that they do such a good job at, at understanding what customers want without essentially sitting down like a salesperson might, you know, with the customer?
1: You know, I, I, I'll, I'll never forget, I was joking around with a friend of mine who's in charge of uh, who who led the personalization effort at Barnes and Nobles many, many years back. And he had already left Barnes and Nobles. And one, when I think this was when cult action came out and um, they first started putting like, you know, people who bought this were also interested in this kind of stuff. Right. And at one point he had found a picture of, um, you know, people who like a particular type of um, uh, sexual encounter book also like clean underwear. <laughs> okay. And he talked about how that may have been personalization that may have gone a little too far. Right. Um, and of course people got it wrong, but at the end of the day, it's data. It's just data, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Uh, you know, back in the day when you used to have that smaller store, and by the way, this is something that frustrates me, frustrates me with current brick and more retailers. Okay. I don't care who you are. If you're Nordstrom's, if you're Neiman Marcus, if you're Macy's, Okay. Let's say you go to Nordstrom, and you have somebody there who takes really great care of you, and, and I've heard it from many people. So a lot of you know people—they yeah. have almost like a personal shopper who, yep. who's there. They know them, they know their family, they know they speak, and they want to look a particular way on stage. It's great. The problem is if that person gets fired, or unfortunately, some illness happens. That history is gone, gone. Right? Yep. Those companies aren't thinking in terms of CRM. Right? Just. Basic customer management. How do I record those things? How do I turn those into in- insights? And that is one of the things that Jeff Bezos has taken from day one. It, when he wanted to be Earth's most customer-centric company, and talked about this, you know, in uh, in the Everything Store. And when we first started in 1995, this this was his approach. It, it wasn't that he was trying to be warm and fuzzy because he's not that warm and fuzzy kind of guy. It's just that he knew that every click, every affiliate site that you that that had you know data on you that you visited, right. All this information, every book you read and every show you watch on on, uh, Amazon Prime, um, everything you share, everything you put into a wish list, gives you insight into the kind of person you are, right? And that's how they mention it. It's all about understanding and and valuing people and and, and the experiences and always looking to stay ahead of where they are and and looking to give them great experiences. And And it's funny, it's like, It's paying attention to tiny details, right? It's not about getting what people expect right. It's what they don't expect to get right. And so I I love this as a great example. Um, Two businesses, right? Totally, you know, has nothing to do with online. This could be any business in the world. But I have two uh, friends of mine who run businesses in Tampa, Florida. Okay? Very different businesses, but yet they both are incredibly customer-centric. One of them. He decided he was going to do donuts. He wanted to sell donuts with his, with his family and his kids and stuff like that. So he started the mini donut factory in Tampa, Florida. And one of the key things he decided to do was that every single donut, first of all, is made on the spot. So you walk in there. So if you're ever in Tampa, you need to go. You walk in there. Not good for our diets, but <laughs> he's got six pack abs and he still eats donuts every day. So I'm thinking if he could do it, we can at least sample a couple, okay? You walk in there, and they make the donut, they take it fresh out of the oil, and then every single one gets hand-decorated. And if it doesn't look like it's absolutely perfect to share on Facebook or Instagram or Yelp or, 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 or Google Maps, it gets thrown away. Okay, It's got to be absolutely visually stunning on top of the great taste and, and the combinations that he's come up with. That's customer-centric. right? He's always thinking about how will it shine in the eyes of the customer. Okay. Puts, puts a little pressure on the uh, decorator. But, it's, but that's it. And, <laughs> you know, it's no fancy people doing it, but he teaches them how to do it. And, and it's funny. There's, there's actually uh, – you can go ahead and you can Google. There's a, uh, a morning show clip with him doing it, and the morning show host trying to decorate their own one. He says, no, nah, that won't be thrown away. <laughs> <laughs> kind of teases them. The second one is a pest control business. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, you know, in Florida, as as in Texas, um, we get some pretty nasty big bugs down here. You really don't want to see bugs in your house, okay, no matter what. Bad enough, we see snakes and and scorpions and all kinds of other things outdoors. You definitely don't want them in your house. So they have a a company called Safer Home Services. They do once a year pest control, and they send a team out. They come out, they plug in every hole so that no bug can ever get into the place. And, again, they're always trying to experiment and improve things. It's always about delivering it. So you never have to call this bug person to come back through your house again for the next year. And it's worrying about, you know, how to get great at delivering these experiences. We talk about it also with 1-800-Got-Junk and how they do it in the book. You know, any business can really, like, just dominate their industry just by focusing in on the tiny little details.
0: Yeah, and I think that folds very, very nicely into number two. In fact, I think they're very related because a lot of people would say, "Well, you've got to be customer centric." Well, you don't get customer centric by having a meeting and talking about it and saying, "Here's what we're going to do." It's by paying attention and going, "Oh, here's how we can optimize this experience." Here's how this little thing, you know, didn't work necessarily. And in fact, um, this is the money quote in the book. You ready for it? Con- I'm ready. Continuous optimization is a byproduct of caring. And I think that's the part that people yes. completely
1: miss. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and you know, I started in this industry in 1998. Jeffrey and I started the first ever agency for conversion rate optimization. And this is why we, part of the reason we also had to do this book as a story. For 20 years, we've been trying to get people to understand, hey, you need to optimize. You need to take care of your customers, right? And we've mm-hmm. tried through analytics. We, 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 we've tried all copywriting. Right. And we see what happens. Right. Amazon is t- completely dominated. Obviously, a lot of the rest of the retailers have fell on deaf ears, you know, and they've, and they've been they tried at getting part of the, the, the tactics of CRO. So now you see people definitely doing some testing and stuff like that. The, the challenge is this is not like you said, it's not a project. This is this is about really obsessing and caring about your customers. And the, the pillars don't work by themselves you it really is what we call a flywheel you've got to have all the pieces working together and it kind of accelerates one on top of the other so customer centricity is the first push right i've got to care about the customer how am i, how am I going to wow them what am i going to do that's just going to be so different than everyone else okay what's what's next now we focus on continuous optimization we're going to do things not everything's going to wow them not everything is going to make the process better not everything's going to make the process more efficient for us and for them and we share all kinds of stories from HVAC guys to jewelers right every business can find ways to optimize every part of their operations not just marketing but every part of their operations so that you can find ways to wow customers through that optimization Um, and you're going to fail sometimes and that's okay so you just take the data and you move to the next thing right Um, But it's always about creating value for the customer. Not just, hey, let me change the color of a button. Well, what value did you add to the customer? If you're not adding value to the customer, Really, you're not caring, and ultimately, it's not really going to have a major impact to your business.
0: And I, and, and I would suggest that um, that continuous optimization has to go beyond the purchase. That's where I think a lot of people drop the ball is, you know, okay, I clicked the button or I came into your store and I bought. You know, what now? You know, what do I experience now? And I think that's where a lot of people, they just
1: don't even think about it. And, and I think
0: that that's where we see major
1: gaps anyway. Well, it's funny. It's funny you mention that because you know I'm getting ready to do a uh, keynote in uh, a couple of weeks uh, in New York uh, at a retail conference, and one of my favorite things uh, to demonstrate this to Amazon about Amazon is you know they're the only company that's ever really done this whole concept of frustration-free packaging. Yeah. Right. I'm sure you've seen that curb enthusiasm clip where Larry David's trying to break into his gift and he needs get the screwdriver out, and then he gets the scissor and then he gets a big long knife. Just trying to fight into that package. Yep. And so what I'm actually, what I'm actually doing is I'm bringing two packages that I ordered. One from Amazon and one from Toys R Us. And I'm coming and i am bring them right on stage. I'm going to invite two people up on stage while, while, while I'm actually showing that Larry David clip in the background. And I'm going to invite them to open up these packages. And inside, at the very inside of each of the packages is a Rubik's Cube actually. So people, two people are going to walk home with, with the with a Rubik's Cube. The difference is the one from Amazon, the packing tape, is there, you know, that regular, you know, prime paper, packing tape where, you yeah, know, yeah. you can rip it open easily with your hand, but mm. still seems to be sturdy enough. There's obviously somebody that just obsesses over packing tape. Yep. And the other one is like this plastic clear tape that like, if you don't have a knife and of course I'm not going to get one through TSA, <laughs> um, nobody's going to be able to even open. Okay. But let's assume somebody figures out how to open it inside there. Right. The Toys R Us one is a clamshell of a, of a Rubik's cube. Right, and, and I know you've got grandkids and oh, you've had kids. Yeah. You know, nothing is more frustrating than tr- than fighting through that clamshell to get to the gift that you want. Yeah, yeah. And just makes us realize that you know it's not about delivering the gift; it's about when they're finally enjoying it. Yeah. So in the Amazon box, it's in a paper box, and it's in a little you know cardboard box it just opens up, and you've got it, and you're, you're already playing two yeah. seconds later. Yeah. Yeah, I will.
0: World uh, of difference. I will give them that. They they definitely have somebody or an entire department that works on you know the exact size of boxes or something. So so let's talk about that because we're kind of getting into innovation. I think for for um, many of the innovations of Amazon really uh, come around shipping.
1: Well, it's 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 shipping. I mean everything also from you know what they've done with Alexa, and I think I think you know from a marketing trend perspective. Um, everybody last year kept asking me, what do I think the big trend is going to be? Because everyone was talking about AR and and VR and stuff like that. And I said, no, the next big horizon is going to be voice. Uh, Be ready for it. And, of course, that was – CES came right after I made all those predictions. And all of a sudden, you know, Alexa has now 7,000, now over 10,000 new um, uh, commands that it understands that you you can integrate into it, you know, skills. So, yeah, I mean, you know – uh, the shipping certainly—you know—everything from the Kiva robots and um, you know trying to get to, to things to optimize to you know how and where they put locations mm-hmm. to what they're doing in the stores, right? They're redefining stores to their Amazon Go project, right—the the the, 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 the uh, frictionless checkout that they're trying to do. You know, yes, it's not available yet. Will it fail? Absolutely. Will they lose some money doing it? Sure. But they're going to keep pushing because they know at the end it's better for the customer if I can get frictionlessly if I can get products to you in a half an hour. I mean, uh, two minutes before we got on the call, I saw someone drive up and drop off a book that my daughter needed for her class. Uh, I mean, you know, we ordered yesterday. Yeah, beautiful thing. Yep. Well,
0: and and you know, I'm sure a lot of retailers and certainly e-commerce folks, you know, hate this, but I mean, that that then becomes the norm too. I mean, are we? You know, why would we? Why would we wait three days for something? Or or you know, why would we get in our car and drive for 30 minutes when we know we're going to have it tomorrow? And I think that they've created sort of the norm. That,
1: that's, that's it. And they set expectations from B to C and to B to B, right? I mean, and and, and and media at this point as well. I think that, you know, and news from what he's doing with Washington Post. Yep. I think every industry is going to be influenced this. Insurance, banking, you know, they can get into any business they want to fast. Yeah. Okay? And... And I always like to remind people, it's like you know, if they're not in your industry yet, what are you going to do when they do decide to get into your industry? How how are you going to approach that? So let's wrap let's wrap this up because um,
0: we, we ha- you know we could tell stories about Amazon and how I mean we're both kind of oh yeah we're both kind of fanboys, uh, so we could tell that until we're blue in the face. I mean, how does somebody take these four pillars if they are? any number of businesses or a modeling contractor, a hair salon, you know, not necessarily a, you know, pure digital play. I mean, how do they take these four pillars and apply them?
1: Yeah. And so this is, this is where we come back to the buyer legends, right? Mm-hmm. You really need to get a good understanding of who your customers are and you need to plan out what that experience is going to be. And as we talk about in, um, in buyer license, but also in the book, you have to start from the the, the end and work yourself backwards, right? What is it going to take in order to everybody to have a five-star review? What would, what, what would it look like? What would that experience look like? What would you have to do? What's going to make it differentiate between your hair salon and every other hair salon in the world? And you have to map out what those things are, and then you have to find, okay, what data can I collect that will let me know whether that's right or wrong? I mean, I have a friend of mine who owns a uh, – and this is another passion of ours uh, – you know, a, um, a baseball training facility. And he's applied the four pillars to his business, and he keeps trying to find new and innovative ways of, okay, how can he gather more measurement in terms of uh, of what's going on with his players and, and the people visiting? And so like one simple thing he did is just instead of having a book where people can sign in, he turned the uh, sign-in into an online checkout form, right? And so now it's an electronic data form. Little things, and it's just, you know, it's streamlined the process. Nobody's waiting to sign in. Everybody's there with their phones anyway. They go on there, they put it in, and they're done. It just takes a little bit of innovation, a little customer centricity, a little bit of optimization to keep testing it. And, of course, you've got to be agile. you just got to keep executing. You've got to get it until you get it right and and do it over and over again. And uh, you can be just like Amazon.
0: Well, one of the things I love about this is that, um, you know, in a lot of ways, these four pillars, certainly they need to drive through the whole organization. but they you could look at this as this is the job of the CEO. Um, that you know if you Absolutely. are in an organization with five or six people, I mean you're still the CEO, but quite often you know we're doing whatever needs to be done work as opposed to this idea of focusing on these four pillars and I think this would be the high payoff work in even in the smallest of organizations
1: we have seen that over and over again you know every every company we've ever worked with that we've started doing the, the this four pillar work with um you know the dividends are multiples uh because it does it does affect everything from boardroom to stockroom it affects how your bathroom looks yeah. you know it, it affects the you know how how you know your your, your uh parking lot is going to, to to look you know how people are greeting people to how things are getting delivered and, and when you start uh, and, and you need the buy-in from the CEO, cause it's not going to work if sure. not. And, 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 you know, I think when we look at, uh, and I think we all know, right. Retail's going through, you know, some terrible times and uh, lots of businesses are, are transforming based on, you know, what well, this industry we've been in that, that that's caused such havoc, uh, which has been also wonderful, right. That this online industry, how much, how much it's done for things. But I think, when you realize that, you know, many businesses are not going to survive because of the expectations set by people outside of their industry and newcomers are just going to come in and say, oh, OK, well, we can apply these same approaches as an Amazon to your industry.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, you know, if they haven't taken the effort to do it, they're, they're going to really struggle to, to, to stay relevant to their customers. So, Brian, where can people find Be Like Amazon? So here's the cool thing, right? Uh, because after after having done this for, for 20 years, you know, yes, they can get a Kindle version right away on Amazon. They can they can find that. Um, we, like I said, we're, we're coming out with a hardcover. We're coming out with an audio book. We'll also be doing the book in Spanish. But even right now, if they just go to the BeLikeAmazon.com like amazon.com website, just for subscribing, we will send them immediately the first three chapters, and every uh, two days after that, the next chapter, so they can get the whole book for free. Cool. Uh, We just know the information needs to be out there. So, you know what? I don't care whether people pay for the book, read the book for free. It it doesn't matter. The information needs to get out there because if not, we're going to see a lot of pain in this industry.
0: Brian, thanks so much for sharing. Uh, Great book. uh, Pairs well with buyer legends. So maybe pick up uh, both and uh, hopefully we'll see you out there on the road soon.
1: Looking forward to it.
0: Hey, thanks for listening to the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. Um, are you an independent marketing consultant or an agency owner? You might want to check out the Duct Tape Marketing Consultant Network. It is a growing group of independent marketing consultants and agencies that are partnering and collaborating and using the duct tape marketing tools and really scaling their businesses. So check it out at ducttapemarketingconsultant.com.